Welcome to The Big Idea, I'm Douglas Kerr, and this week we'll be talking about transgender, a word which the Oxford English Dictionary says entered the language as late as 1974, though we can assume the phenomenon it names is a lot older than that. Now, it's conventional to make a distinction between sex and gender. Your sex is a biological category, a matter of chromosomes, hormones and anatomy. Most animals are born either male or female in sex. Gender is a social category. Society is distinguished between a masculine and a feminine appearance and behaviour. Expectations of gender, of how men and women are supposed to behave and be treated, can vary a lot from society to society and from time to time. And these expectations help to determine, for example, how boys and girls are educated and educated differently, how they're taught to think of their identity as masculine and feminine. Transgender people are those who experience a dissonance between their assigned sex and their experienced gender identity. You often hear a phrase such as a man trapped in a woman's body or the other way around. But today we're asking, what's it like to be a transgender person? What sort of challenges do they face and what options are open to them? How well is transgender understood by social institutions like the medical profession, the church and the law? And how well <clears throat> are trans people treated in today's society? How can transgender help us to understand and even change our ideas about gender itself? So, as, as usual, I have two guests in the studio today. Brenda Allegre is a trans woman from the Philippines who works in Hong Kong as a teacher and researcher in gender studies. And Michael Vidler is a solicitor advocate with his own law practice in Hong Kong, specialising in civil rights law. Michael worked on the famous W case, which highlighted the question of transgender rights in Hong Kong. Okay, Brenda, I want to start with you. And in my introduction just now, I described you as a trans woman. Yes. Is, is that a term that you're comfortable with? I'm definitely com comfortable with that okay. word, yeah. Although in the Philippines, I use another word, which is transpinai. Yeah, because women call them, we call ourselves Pinay, and then yeah. men call themselves Pinoy, so you're transgender a, you're a women. Trans-Pinay. Trans okay, Pinay. I'll try and remember that. Um, yeah. I'd like to ask you to explain what it means to be a trans woman and to take us through something of your own mm -hmm. upbringing and experience. Yeah. So, like, personally, it is um, an incongruence between what I think and who I think I am with what my body is and how my body is perceived by others. I think this is the kind of description that many other transgender people also feel they have. Um, so I was assigned male at birth. And because of that birth assignment, it has become my legal gender marker in all of my documents. And okay. up until now, all my documents uh, 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 carry a male uh, gender marker. Right. And I wish that I could change that. But then unfortunately, I am not bound by um, that. I'm not, I don't have the opportunity. Um, but then growing up, as early as I could remember, I was five years old. I don't think I am like other like other boys. In fact, I think like that I am a girl. You knew this when you were five. Five, yes. That's remarkable. Yeah, but then um, many, many years later, when I was already studying psychology, um, we have a, a course on a gender, uh, um, I mean, 
developmental psychology. So we were talking about uh, gender development theories, and many of these theories um, explain that gender development happens as early as you're one year old. And one gender theory in particular says that you, I mean, babies or toddlers already have a gender. Uh, they identify as a particular gender. They just don't recall that. So I recall um, having a gender at age five. We, okay, so we have to distinguish between being assigned a gender and mm-hmm. what we say experiencing. Yeah, experience gender, gender and you assigned were, You were assigned masculinity, a male. Male. At birth. Yes. But already at the age of five, you th- knew that this wasn't the right category yeah. for you. It's not. You know, I think that I'm like other girls. It's just that my body is just slightly different. And the only... Um, I hope that the, the listeners would 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 be would not be offended if they hear the word genitals. But the only thing that distinguished me from the other girls is the other girls and other kids, you know, or the kids in general. They just point at uh, me having a genital just like the other boys as the reason why I should consider myself as a boy and not a girl. But I never really believe that. But this must have been. Yeah. For a five-year-old kid, this must have been really difficult. A bit difficult, but I think that's the advantage of being a child. You know, you don't get, you don't have too much information about yourself. Uh. You don't, you cannot process. I mean, like for someone of my age now, with my experience, it's more difficult to process because I think I have to be able to defend myself in a very good way now. But when I was younger, I think I was at my best um, um, in in defending myself whenever people question my, my choice of gender because I just say it's who I think I think I am it's what I think I am it's okay. what I know I am yeah, yeah. when did, sorry um, when did this when did you f- start to realize that this when you had when did you have to start defending yourself um, I think I was already in uh, late grade school I may have been eleven or twelve and then the, because in in the Philippines I guess even in Hong Kong and everywhere else um, uh, most schools um, whether it's a, a co-educational school or a mixed gender school or um, you know, exclusively boys or ex- exclusively girls we have we have to wear a subscribed a pre- rather a prescribed uniform and mm-hmm. I'm forced to wear the prescribed uniform for male assigned students and not just the uniform but even my appearance I has to be controlled I have to conform to particular uh, um, le- uh, for example I have to have short hair and they even have a measurement with how my hairstyle sh- our, our hairstyle should be they, they, they have this number one by two or two by three that refers to the inches like two inches <laughs> above the ear earlobe and mm-hmm. <laughs> three inches uh, above the nape or the neck, yeah. And because we need, we need to have that military style of haircut to distinguish that you're a boy and you're not a girl. And then, other than that, uh, I actually uh, used the name Brenda for the first time when I was eight years old, and it, that was a name assigned to me by my one of my grade school teachers because my grade school teacher was very fond of my feminine gender expressions, and she took that Brenda from a comic strip character which was popular back in the eighties. Eighties. Uh, Brenda Starr. Brooke Shields eventually uh, uh, did a TV movie. <laughs> and then, so when I saw the the Brooke Shields TV movie, I was really happy. Yes, I'm definitely going to go by the name Brenda. Okay. So then, moving forward a bit, when yeah. did you start to do something about this? 
when I was in university because uh, there were no uh, sexuality and gender courses. Uh, there were actually no um, activist groups that specialized on transgender issues back then. Most of the, in the uh, activist movement in the Philippines, everyone uh, identified as either gay or lesbian. So it's either you're in the women's movement or you're in the gay movement. But then uh, uh, talking with other gay uh, people who identify as gay, I realized there were some other people there who uh, don't present themselves like other gay men. They present themselves like women. And then uh, when I was in university, I was able to watch many beauty pageants, which we call Miss Gay in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. And they're actually, they look like women. So I felt like I have to research this. And I saw this movie, uh, mm -hmm. a TV movie again. It's called Second Serve. It's a movie about the life of Renee Richards, mm. and it was the great Vanessa Redgrave who portrayed Renee Richards in that movie. And they Renee used the Richards word trans. Being a, a very famous tennis player who yeah. transitioned. Yes, um, and Renee used to be Richard Raskin, an yeah. ophthalmologist, and eventually Renee <clears throat> Richards became one of the teachers of Martina Navratilova, who's also mm. an out uh, mm. lesbian. Uh, and it was at that. A TV movie that I learned the word transgender, so I have mm. to look what for what that means. But I tend to find another word which is transsexual more often. And okay. yeah. there is uh, this acronym that I think I would like to introduce to the listener. It's called um, SOGI or SOGI. S O stands for sexual orientation, then G I stands for gender identity, and mm -hmm. E stands for gender expressions. Okay. So. These are all different things. They may intersect. Uh, yes, indeed, there are intersections, but sexual orientation is simply who you want to be with or who you want to go to bed with, <clears throat> who you like. You know, So if I say I like Superman, then that's my sexual orientation. I like okay. men. Right. But gender identity is your internal sense of gender based on what kind of notion of uh, what kind of how you understand gender in your uh, society, in your country, in your culture. So in the Philippines, or perhaps the same in in Hong Kong, we may share the same ideas of what a woman is or who a woman is and who a man is. So in my case, my gender identity is that I subscribe to that binary. You know, I think I am a woman. I feel I am a woman. And my gender expressions eventually are predominantly feminine, you know, but I do have some gender expressions that are deemed masculine also. Like they say, my voice is not feminine enough. So in fact, it, what, it is what gives me away. You know, when, when people hear me talk at the MTR, that's when uh, passengers start to look at me, that maybe I'm a different kind of woman or maybe I'm not a woman. Okay, we'll try and keep distinct three things. Yeah. That is gender identity, gender expression. sexual orientation, and gender expression. Yes. And these are three separate things. Separate things. They can come in different combinations. Yes. And okay. gender identity <laughs> and, and transgender is an umbrella terminology. Um, it's more recent compared to the word transsexual. Um, in, in, in the current um, um, literature, they will find transsexual as a very specific experience of being transgender. For transgender, it means you're a person who do not identify as that sex that you were assigned at birth. So whether, uh, if you're assigned male, growing up, it's either you, as, you identify as female, the opposite, or you don't identify as male, period. You may not identify as female too, but you just don't identify as male. So Okay. I hope you're keeping up with this, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Trying. Yeah. And, so can I ask you... A, to, to bring the law into this, because the law is going to be a big theme of this program. Um, <laughs> when, when did the law start to pay attention? When did the law become aware of transgender? As well, Brendan was just reminding me that in Hong Kong, um, 
it was recognised and you could get surgery paid for by the Hong Kong government, actually, uh, for gender dysphoria, um, mm-hmm. which is the, the condition, the medical condition um, prescribed by the medical profession for, for transgendered persons, um, back in the 1980s, uh, early 1980s. But yeah. uh, after that, I mean, uh, and they had certain criteria. Um, so you had to live your life in a... Um, in the acquired or, or proposed gender for a certain period of time, um, you know, you had to, and you you were issued a a letter, which then it was your sort of get out of jail card. So if you were seeking to use a male toilet, mm-hmm. um, when you are uh, your ID card showed that you were a female, um, then uh, that was your get out of jail card. But uh, after that, you then had to undergo surgery um, to have any real recognition, and you still do, um, because every Hong Kong ID card has a gender marker on it. Um, and uh, likewise with your birth certificate. Um, so to change that, you had to undergo surgery, and that was paid for by the Hong Kong government. Um, and so that all continued on, really, without change until the W case, and that was to do specifically with the right to marry. Good, okay, and we'll <clears throat> be talking about the W case in a moment. But So the, the law, at least the law in Hong Kong, recognizes that this is a social matter, mm. social cultural matter. Yeah. In order to be recognized as transgender, you have to behave in a certain way, yep. to be observed to behave in a certain way. For and you need to be recognized period. by a, a medical practitioner. You see, this, this is the other thing. <laughs> this is what the next thing I wanted to ask you about. To what extent are we in medical discourse here? Um, as far as the law is concerned, presumably it's easier for the law to deal with something if it's if it can be described medically. Well, this is why it's it's you know it's frightening for lawyers and judges, and they they like to have nice concrete um, mm. ideas. Um, and but it, it's not something that comes neatly with any any definitions, um, because uh, as Brenda said, there's there's gradations uh, all over the place. Um, but the way that Hong Kong has it at the moment, um, the, the Court of Final Appeal has has identified the policy requiring surgery, for instance, um, to be you know problematic um, and you know coercive, in that you have to give up your right to bodily integrity um, in order to acquire right, i.e., to marry, for instance, um, and the court finds that in a human rights perspective as offensive. Hence, it called upon the Hong Kong government to introduce legislation, comprehensive legislation, um, when it suspended the judgment in W for a year. Um, unfortunately, the Hong Kong government didn't do anything effective. Um, it sought to tinker with the laws rather than int- introduce proper legislation. And it tried to entrench the policy, the offensive policy, that we presently have and is going to be subject to challenge quite soon. Mm-hmm. So... As far as the law is concerned, after you, you you can behave in certain way as a transgender person you recognise as, as such. Mm. But to go a little bit further, and this is into being able to enter into a contract of marriage, yeah, and other things. Well, it, it was ironic because the the director of immigration is also the registrar of marriages. So on the one hand, he was wearing his hat saying, um, "We'll give you a new ID card," uh, and in W's case, it was a post-operative uh, trans woman. 
will give you an ID card saying you are actually a woman now. That's your ID card. Yeah. Um, and yet, in, in wearing the hat of registrar of marriage, you were saying, no, you can't marry as a woman um, because you are biologically, you're chromosomally male. Uh, and that's mm. really the, the crux of what the W case was about. And it, and it's Chromosomes. In, yes. That, in, yes, it was bizarre. Um, I know you have to sympathise with the law. I, I feel these questions that involve identity and race and ethnicity would be another one. It would be much easier for the law if you could be examined by a doctor who says, yes, you're Chinese. Or, yes, you're a woman. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in the UK they have a system which requires... Well, there's a panel, including medical practitioners, to to consider whether... And there is a, a period of, of transition where you physically live your life in your acquired gender. But mm. um, So there is a medical element to it. It's just there isn't this requirement for you to undergo um, surgery, sterilisation surgery and reconstructive surgery that there is here in Hong Kong. Um, so... I mean, whether it's correct or not, it's certain that it's a categorization that certainly the Court of Final Appeal looked at and found favor with mm -hmm. and was dropping massive hints to the Hong Kong government to consider introducing similar legislation here in Hong Kong. And the Hong Kong government studiously ignored that big hint. So far. So far, yes. <laughs> okay. Um, what do we understand about... You, you've spoken very eloquently about your own experience. What do we understand about why some people are transgender and some people aren't? Well, because um, it, we have operated under that kind of thinking ever since. It's what is um, taught to us. It's ingrained in our system. Uh, it, it eventually, it found its way in our culture also. When I ask around uh, the young when I ask students, um, it's what their families taught them. It's what their uh, parents tell them the expectations of uh, the Chinese tradition expects them to have children, you know, to, to marry. Um, I, yeah. I, I, I understand this, but that's not quite the question that I meant to ask. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> society, it's convenient for society uh -huh. to operate in terms of, of... Pink or blue. Right. You try and buy baby clothes that don't involve pink yeah. or blue. <laughs> pink or blue. So that, mm -hmm. that it's a way of organizing our life. Yeah. My question is, what about why... What is it that causes certain people to be transgender? Do we know this? Do we have an, uh, any understanding of this? Uh, there are some uh, uh, um, working theories that it could be the brain structure, but then you could also ask the same question to everybody. What causes everybody else to be cisgender? Mm. What causes everybody else to be straight? You know, When people mm. ask you to come out, you, uh, uh, have you come out as gay? Um, maybe you could ask that to, to everybody else. Have you come out as straight? Do you need to come out as straight? Yeah. Or um, if you think you're trapped in the wrong body, you could... Um, uh, why are you trapped in the wrong body? You could ask someone else, how about you? Do you think you're in the right body? Why are you in the right body? Why are you not in the wrong body? From I'll just come from an academic perspective, you know, gen what we've always been teaching students is that gender is a social construction. Yeah. Yeah, so it means it is what you think <clears throat> it is. Um, it is your idea. It's your authorship. But it's yeah. also, surely, what, not just what you think it is, but what you say it is. Because you're a transgender person, you're, you're here as a transgender yes. person because at some stage in your life you said, this is what I am. Yeah. And presumably there are many, many people yeah. who didn't have the courage or the mm. opportunity 
to make that statement. Uh, it's a decision for you <clears throat> to be true to who you are. And then eventually right. there are some people, some of us would find the right words, you know. Some of us will engage in a discourse because we could. But then there are also other people who are underrepresented. But then they don't need to be represented because... Um, Society fails to recognize diversity. We're supposed to remind society that we should live in a world of diversity. But apparently, we're living in a world that has a, uh, um, exclusivity, uh, categories, strict categories. We box in everyone, including uh, gender stereotypes. Uh, we, we don't have to look like each other. We don't have to walk like someone else. Because, for example, I'll, I'll give a very concrete example. Um, like trans women in Thailand and trans women in the Philippines, they kind of share the same culture, uh, um, especially the transsexual, transgender women, so transsexual women. Um, many of them undergo not just hormone um, therapy, but they would also have some other invasive procedures like um, injecting silicone fillers on their faces and their breasts. Eventually, when you see them in the beauty pageant or a fashion show, they tend to look nearly the same. Mm. And because their idea of what being a woman is would be on, on, a, on a particular idea also that's perpetuated in media, you know, the, the small body type, high cheekbones, the narrow noses, and even the Western idea of what being a woman is. So the diversity is lost. And eventually when you look around, there are other trans people who feel that, they, that these kind of trans women don't represent who they are. So they have their own idea of who they are, you know, but uh, we only see uh, um, a particular idea of what a trans woman should look like. That's why um, um, maybe in, in W's case, W is one kind of a trans person. Maybe there's another kind of trans person. Maybe there are many kinds of trans person because there are many, many, there are many kinds of persons. So there are certain institutions in society that find this kind of conversation mm -hmm. quite difficult. One might Certain be, churches. Well, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about that. And do you, because you've done a lot of work with transgender people, you've you've no doubt encountered quite a lot of hostility or resistance to them. Um, is this particularly from people who are involved in churches? Yes, almost exclusively. And I have on, to what, say. on what ground? Um, I think there's a there's a discomfort uh, for for them as to what's what's perceived to be normal um, and they take what is normal from the Old Testament um, whilst, you know, cherry-picking some of those concepts. Mm. Um, and well, male and female created he them. Yes. This, this is on the first page of the Bible. Yes, exactly. Right? Um, but also <clears throat> it's, it's intertwined with um, rather blinkered um, um, fear of same-sex marriage. So there is an awful lot of confusion within um, sort of religious groups as to um, the fact, with WK, for instance, it was all spun, or the opposition was spun on, on the terms of, well, this is introduction of, of same-sex marriage by, um, by sleight of hand, when, of course, it's nothing to do with um, same-sex marriage. This was W recognized as a woman by the Hong Kong government who paid for the, the change of, uh, of, of wanting uh, gender. Uh, wanting to marry a man, yes. not, not a woman, a man. Yeah. Um, uh, so we're in the weird position where one of the main opposition groups that is absolutely vocal, um, uh, frothing at the mouth in terms of, of same-sex marriage, um, rather kept its head down in, in relation to the W case because... For them, the concept of having um, uh, W, who presented as a woman and you wouldn't be able to tell any difference, uh, 
being able to marry a woman, because legally, pre pre W case, yes. she would have been able to marry a woman. Yes. Um, they just couldn't countenance that because that would effectively be, count, you know, um, allowing same sex marriage. So they they were sort of confused as to what to do. Um, but a lot of this is derived from ignorance. Um, a lot of this is derived from prejudice and this, this pig-headed idea that one shouldn't, same-sex marriage shouldn't be allowed. Do you um, encounter a lot of prejudice? Religion is one of the reasons because, like, just like what Michael said, like in, in, in my case, I grew up in a Catholic uh, um, society where mm-hmm. predominantly I was raised Catholic. I studied in a Catholic university and everything you know that they, they, they taught us is that there's only a binary choice for, for sex assignment at birth and growing up you have to follow that so they they don't even recognize gender as a separate um um, concept they think sex is the only concept there is um and that the only kind of sexual orientation you should have is also a heterosexual um orientation um in, in fact you must have a sexual orientation so if you are asexual they think that that's Abnormal. In fact, psychiatrists think of it as abnormal. It is in the DSM. It's hyposexual desire disorder. So that's the kind of society we live in. Every, everyone pathologizes. It also went down to a large extent. A lot of the argument was to do with uh, ability to um, bear a child. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and you know, we were arguing the court of final appeal bizarrely. Our arguments saying, well, you know, why should you need to be able to bear a child in order to be able to marry? You know, people who are infertile can still marry. And yet these were arguments that were wheeled out in in our highest court. Um, And this was very religious-based argument. It's interesting, isn't it, how often these things come down to assumptions about nature, Mm. that certain behavior is is against nature. Yes, yes. And therefore to be prescribed. But a lot of us, a lot of trans people, um, including me, um, um, we experience many types of discrimination or prejudices. Like, for example, it's very difficult to get certain kinds of jobs. Like, um, uh, uh, apparently, trans, um, um, looking around, I tend to look for, I'm hoping that there are more transgender academics. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not an honor to be one of the few. In fact, it's a sad reality to be one of the few. Because if I, I leave... You know, then there will be probably fewer trans, uh, you know, um, trans academics. Wherever I uh, I went, um, it was very difficult for me to land a job. You know, I I recall the time that I would apply. I applied like fifty times, and I got the fiftieth job. And I wrote down all of these incidences because it was my first round in but the is, job. Is this application. because your identity documents didn't? Match, match my presentation, my right. gender presentation. Right. This is, yeah. this is what it all goes to the importance of having documentation. Um, because in Hong Kong, you can change your school certificates, for instance. Yeah. So oh, that really? with, yes. Oh. Um, yeah. So the Hong Kong government recognized it as far as that. Yes. And yet, Even your name. Uh, and your name, yes. yes. Um, well, that was the easy part. <laughs> um, but it's, it was still there's a difficulty in relation to birth certificates because that's considered yeah. to be a historical document that yeah. can't be changed. Mm. Um, but you don't need to produce a birth certificate, really, yeah. because you have a Hong Kong ID card. Yeah. Um, so that really highlights the difference. In Hong Kong, you need to produce that ID card for you know, everything, basically, you know, yeah. opening bank accounts, going to the library. One last question. Um, do you, and Brenda really raised this earlier, mm-hmm. talking about getting away from... Do mm-hmm. you think that there is a possible future in which we will no longer be talking about male and female? Um, Facebook... 
now offers 71 yeah. gender options by yeah, which you yeah. can identify yourself. Well, you know, Nepal has a, a, an official third gender. Um, the Hong Kong government, or the, the, the Law Reform Commission, um, has gone through every single criminal law that has a, um, a sexual offence, um, which has a, a gender-specific element to it, and has recommended and introduced or, or, um, legislation which was gender non-specific. So... You know, why not? Could happen. Okay, we really have used up all our time. Brenda Allegri and Michael Vidler, thank you both very much indeed. And thank you for listening.